Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. On today's episode, we'll be talking about how to validate and build your startup directly through industry and corporations. Today, we have our guest, Thomas Peterson, with us. Thomas is a serial entrepreneur, startup expert in service and product design, innovation, branding, UI, UX, and just generally building great innovative startups from scratch. Thomas has worked with hundreds of different organizations spanning from early stage startups all the way to large Fortune 500 companies. Thomas also co-founded Hello Group in 2006, which was sold to NOA Group in 2018 while spending time with a company called 8020 before they were acquired by Square in 2012. He was the creative director of Square for five years where he developed some of the core products and services that exist there today taking it from a startup idea all the way until their successful IPO. He is now the founder, sorry, co-founder and CEO at First Principle, a creative venture studio focused on starting, helping, and funding businesses, including founding several companies such as Weekend Hacker and Ghostnote. At First Principle, Thomas and his team help entrepreneurs and corporations create category-defining products around the world. Some industry leaders they've worked with to build these startups include Adobe, Intel, Verizon, HP, Fidelity, Sony, Google, Citibank, Nokia, Amazon, among many, many others. So welcome, Thomas. Really glad you're able to join us. And uh, thank you for taking the time to be here today. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. So I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to that intro, but uh, if not, no, maybe could you just... It, <laughs> you, made, you made it sound like my uh, my visa application. I had a really good... Uh, <laughs> Laura, that made me sound amazing there. So uh, I think I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Awesome. Um, do you think you can share a bit about, about your background, you know, how you got started as an entrepreneur and sure. what was the moment you decided to start Hello Group in, in 2006, if that was the first moment? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my background is, um, I think like most people who've been, who ends up in this uh, world of entrepreneurship and startups, uh, is uh, is a little bit different than most other people's in the sense. I have I have no fancy degrees. I have no uh, no no college degrees even. I uh, I'm a failed rock star to be quite honest. Uh, that's kind of how it all started. Uh, I spent uh, my early years um, you know practicing and, and, and playing a lot of music and and through that had been like doing a lot of work regarding you know how to promote bands and stuff like that and had always had this kind of like a little bit of, I had to like have a business running at the same time as I had to find ways to go out and promoters and and find ways for for the band to be um, you know to be making some money. And so I started like this like kind of weird place. And um, I was a guitarist to begin with. And then when the uh, when the grunge kind of movement started in the '90s, uh, it was obvious that they didn't need any more uh, guitar heroes. And so I kind of slowly moved into some other areas and. And one of the things that happened was that I got a job at, at, at a telemarketing company um, uh, doing canvas sales, basically like you know having to call people up and trying to sell them uh, our products. And that kind of got me uh, interested in in in, uh, in kind of the business side way more than than I anticipated. And so I ended up um, studying at a school uh, in Denmark called IMA, which was a weird mix of marketing and technology and design. And uh, through that, I was lucky that I got an internship actually in uh, San Francisco, um, which was called uh, Meta Design. And that company was uh, had like some really great, uh, really great designers there. And even though I didn't have like a design background, I got to work with some amazing people there. This is like the late dot com bubble years, you know, so like the 90, late 90s. Uh, you know, where you got to work with, you know, some very, very, uh, you know, interesting companies and amazing entrepreneurs that were doing stuff that, you know, back then was kind of unheard of. And um, so I did that for some years. And then uh, when the when the, when the dot com bubble crashed, I spent a year extra, I think, in San Francisco. And then I went back to Denmark and worked for an advertising agency for a little while. And then um, I basically decided after having met some people, among others, a guy called Morten Lott, an early stage uh, investor in Skype, and he was looking for um, he was looking for some people to help him basically uh, go in very early on in a in a in a company and invest in, in companies very early on, and then help them 
basically productify their 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 business. A lot of them, uh, the companies invested in, were very technology heavy. You know, so they were basically really great engineers, but they might not have you know the best product uh, thinking mindset. And so what we did basically was we went very early on into the companies and basically helped them, you know, take the product from a great idea in a seed round maybe into an A round, and by kind of taking the technology and really try to turn it into a great product. And um, did that, uh, you know, for for some years. That's why I started Hello Group uh, back then, uh, with with a bunch of other entrepreneurs. And basically, the whole idea was to, you know, become back then uh, to become kind of a, a design agency for startups. Um, mm-hmm. As uh, most people know, with startups, they often don't have enough uh, money, a lot of money. So we had to find ways to mix that up. And so we had, we actually ended up started talking with you know large and large organizations. And it turned out that they had a lot of issues themselves because they were all trying to be, you know, innovative and trying to do new stuff um, in the market. Um, but often the, the the size of the politics and and just the way that large organizations have to think to stay large organizations kind of got in the way from, of them of doing something um, uh, kind of interesting or innovative there. And so we ended up, you know, taking on a lot of those kind of projects. And so. That's kind of how I got into this whole thing. You know, started out with music and ended up with, uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of taking all all the things that are that are in supporting yourself as a musician and turn them into you know building business. Yeah, I love it. Just go from hustler to uh, to entrepreneurship. I think that's the best way, yeah. right? Through. Yeah. Uh, would you consider that that one person who you know when you first launched that first company, the one that you said was invested, would you consider him like as a mentor? And do you think he was like oh, the yeah. the spark or like uh, you know confidence that gave you to say, okay, let me go and you know create a company? Would you say? He was. He was amazing. Like he was. He was definitely um, foundational to my to like where I ended up. I would say. Uh, it was he was a very interesting guy and still is um he um he he was as i said he was early investor in skype and he'd done like a bunch of other things one of them was actually in and kazaa was uh, was was kind of like an early uh file sharing uh thing that uh kind of got banned but there was the nicholas and janus from skype that actually then ended up doing skype after that and he was involved in those guys and he had so many connections i remember one of the first kind of uh, uh, weeks that I was, that we kind of, you know, started working together. He introduced me to, uh, you know, Bill Clinton's uh, uh, lawyer, that was his lawyer during, uh, you know, his time as a, as a president, president who had like this new company that he wanted to start. So, you know, he was very well connected uh, um, and was, you know, kind of opened my eyes for, 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 for like the kind of the entrepreneurial, um, lifestyle if you like you know mm. there's a lot today there's it, it's it's a very like modern lifestyle to be an entrepreneur but back then he was kind of one of the first ones who who opened my eyes to this idea that you can kind of invest in not just in your own time to make money as a salary but you can invest in other people and other companies and ideas and spend some time but then you know get paid in some sort of a share of that success right and so yeah he's mm-hmm. definitely he's very important to me i think um very early on especially and what, what was it that made you or when did you decide to join Square as the creative director? Was that after they, they acquired one of those companies you were working with? And you said, no, hey, let's... so actually Square happened because um, so I was so, so with Hello Group, we, we um, uh, in 2008, we, uh, we tried to kind of um, start Hello Group in New York. And we actually I spent some time in New York trying to set uh, you know, up a company. And um, Basically, uh, that failed when the whole thing crashed, you know. <laughs> and so, um, when I got back, I was kind of thinking I needed to get back to the U.S. and I, and I really liked this idea of being in New York. felt the felt felt correct for me to to be there. Where Denmark was great, you know, so, and we had we did a lot of great stuff. But I needed to do something different. And then uh, uh, a guy that I used to work with back in my meta days in in San Francisco. I just started out uh, 820 decided to see and they uh, were doing really well and was kind of looking to find ways where they could get sold and so they asked me you know what, what I thought about that and I said well I think if, if you're an agency you need to find other things than just your agency to sell because otherwise you know you're not gonna make that much you might do like three times your, your revenue and even though they had you know great revenue uh, we still had this idea about like let's go look for some IP, maybe build some of our own products, and then see if that could be part of the the package. And then what actually happened was uh, before we, we started on that, but then before that kind of got anywhere, 
we uh, we ended up um, uh, basically selling the company to um, to Square instead. And that kind of gave us what we were looking for, like the upside of technology that's scalable and at the same time kind of, uh, you know, still doing what uh, kind of what we did, which was as a design agency, right? And so it was uh, Jerry and uh, Andrew Borowski and, and Andrew Lin, who were the three main founders of 8020 that kind of did that and have still gone on to do some some uh, some cool stuff uh, in other companies. But um yeah, that's that's um, that that was the whole eighty twenty thing was kind of this thing that turned into Square. It was not something that I looked for, um, and we were even considering whether it even was something I wanted to get into. But it's one of those products that because um, it has like this funny like pop, pop digital and pop hardware, hmm. it it you know it matters to other people, and it's one of the few products where I was like, okay, if, if this doesn't exist tomorrow, other people are going to be worse off. So it was worth kind of working on something like that. And then, uh, you know, of course, we got like a, a good deal with them so that you know, we could invest some, some stock over time. And things like that. Cool. So you kind of absorbed that through that acquisition through 8020 into a role within Square. Um, yeah. And then I know that you were kind of with them all the way until they, they IPO'd, right? And what was that like for you as a stakeholder if you had some shares at the time? Do you remember what it was like? Do you have the feeling at that moment when, you know, they IPO'd and yeah, you was, had all this kind of cash or, or value? It was it was very interesting because in the beginning, um, uh, even you know, for those who don't know, but like, so Jack Dorsey, the the the, the co-founder of Twitter, is behind uh, Square, right? And uh, he we kind of called him the golden child because you know the media loved him and you know whatever he kind of touched, you know, became a you know good thing. And then as we were kind of gearing up towards the IPO, it was interesting just to experience how the media landscape changed quite a lot and became much more negative, and we had kind of some hit pieces on, on Square about like how we were not really doing that well. And and, and um, that was very interesting to see how the media kind of, you know, sometimes just turn around. There was even a, you know, there's even a famous uh, um, kind of uh, email being sent around about like, that's actually how the media works. It's like first, it, it, you know, it, it builds you up and then it takes you down and then, you know, it hopes to kind of build you up again, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're looking for the stories. And it was very interesting to see that because you knew what the truth was. And then at the same time, you were hearing all this, these things. So that was very, very interesting. And then uh, the, the IPO was kind of emotional, yeah, because, you know, it, we, we started out having, you know, high valuation, then we had to kind of take that down. And then, you know, you were worried about, well, is that even, uh, you know, going to help? And so when we, when we IPO'd, you know, and, and things felt... Uh, proper uh, and felt like it was going well, then um, yeah, that 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 felt really good, I think. Uh, but it's also what happens when you when you when you go from a stage where you've been doing a lot of innovation and kind of trying to find some product market fit, is that you kind of become a janitor suddenly when you're not, when you're like in a in a company that is is open, uh, public on the market, right? Because now you can't do as much innovations as you might want to do and the job that you have sort of become more maintenance than anything else, right? You make sure that you improve on things that are kind of, uh, you know, that needs further improvement, but that with that, where all the fun stuff of like as a designer is kind of taken out of that, right? And so I realized after that, that I needed, um, after yeah, like 2017, we IPO'd in 15, we went out in 2017 and we kind of wanted to, to do something else. Uh, and like one thing that I really wanted to do is one, I wanted to go back to become my kind of my own master again and not and not work for someone else, but work right. with other people. That's what I hear with other founders after they, they sell to a big corporation or a bigger company or they exit and then uh, it, less, it becomes less exciting and less innovative. And then you're just dealing with more like bureaucracy and, and kind of politics. Yeah. And, you know, it's not as fun as what, you know, the same thing when you first enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So I, I like the concept of, you know, the creative studio is a path for entrepreneurship, right? It's very similar to like an agency setting where you're kind of get to build different businesses yeah. and validate different businesses, but you're doing it for, you know, you get more kind of upside and equity or, and kind of yeah. you know, more, more room to play with. Um, but for those of you who are, who are on our audience who aren't familiar with a creative venture studio is, can you explain what that is? And, and yeah, the background? I mean, to, to be to be honest, like the, the biggest difference between a kind of a classic agency and a creative venture studio is that we actually have more skin in the game in the sense that, you know, what we do is instead of doing a classic uh, a project for a company where they pay us, you know, a certain fee for that project, we, uh, we either do what, uh, like, like a mix between, uh, they'll, they might pay us some, but then the rest we will kind of work off in sweat equity. So that's, it's kind of a mix where we, we will lower the rates and we will put in some work, but then 
you know, on the other hand, we will get uh, access to you know the, the potential upside of the of the company down the line. Um, so that's kind of I think the most important distinction is like the, you basically get more skin in the game there. And we we do three things. One is we do this you know sweat equity slash um, slash capital where we we get uh, we work for a fee. We also sometimes would invest if you find somebody who have a great idea. We would invest actual just money in them because we like what they're doing and maybe help them with finding funding or, or some initial ideas maybe. Um, and then the last one is um, which is something we do with large organizations where we go in and kind of work on helping them build products inside of their own organization. The primary uh, difference is that a venture studio, you have skin in the game uh, in, in the sense that you you do a mix where you, you don't just uh, you know have a charge a fee for, for whoever you work with. You actually uh, you do a mix where you charge a fee, but you also get some equity. So you lower the, the rates that you would normally be working with in it. And um, so that that's one way that you know you could say the difference between classic agency model and then crazy venture studio is. Um, we also do two other things. One is we do uh, you know, straight up capital for small funding rounds, angel rounds, seed rounds for companies that we, we find interesting that we might not be involved in, in actually you know, designing or developing products for them, but just because we kind of like the uh, whatever they're onto. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is a classic um, uh, Kind of pay the bills uh, approach where we work with large organizations to help them uh, do innovation inside of the organization mm. uh, and one of the big problems they have um, uh, which is what you know smaller entity normally can help with is that you can kind of um, one of the big problems in when your large organization is that you don't get excited about small uh, annual revenue right or even small monthly revenue you don't get excited about you know, $50,000 monthly revenue if you are used to $200 million a year, you know, budgets, right? Yeah. But if you're a small company or have a small setup, you can get very excited, you know, even about $1,000 a month. And that kind of um, sensibility to being excited about smaller, uh, smaller revenue uh, is actually what often makes, you know, small companies outcompete big ones in the long run, right? You have the whole classic innovators dilemma that Clayton Christensen uh, used to talk about, right? Which is that, you know, the large organizations, they they just don't see the, the like what's coming because they, they can't access that because for them to do that, they would have to lower their revenue in, uh, you know, quite a lot. Whereas the small companies, they could kind of build on a lower revenue and then, you know, establish a stronger and stronger base. And so that's been like a continuous problem, I think, in large organization, obviously. Um, and so that's where we, we can go in and help them. And we have kind of some principles that we use to help them unlock and make sure that they don't get trapped in this political game or or get trapped in this idea that uh, you know you need two hundred million dollars uh, uh, to to have a sustainable business. Makes sense. Yeah. So and from there, so you work at, at Square. Uh, you know, you kind of got, you know after the IPO, you do you did design many innovative products there. Um, at what point and what was it that gave you the idea or the pull? to start first principle? What, what did you go directly to that and say, hey, this is it, I'm going to start it? Or was it like, you know, going through a couple of th ideas and then finally nailing down, look, this is what I'm going to do it, and continue? It, yeah, it actually came out of a frustration that I've, I've had for a while when I was working with um, with, with startups, especially, um, and was that, you know, as much as they loved, you know, my input when it came to design, um, they, 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 they uh, were less often uh, interested in hearing my more strategic or tactical uh, advice to them, right? And because I've done so much, I've I accumulated quite a lot of knowledge about like how to approach this. It, it, it doesn't mean like, I, it's not that I know how to make a company successful, but I know what to avoid. I know some things that especially in the beginning might give you a little bit longer runway, allow you to maybe do a pivot more than you were, that you were capable of if you don't do the right things, right? And so what I realized was that even though they, they you know, they loved the, the talk, they were just not ready to pay for that, right? They, they, they just wanted the design work at the end of the day. And so that's why I, I kind of changed the model around and said, well, if I want to have a say in this, I need to have, you know, skin in the game, as I said, in order for that to happen. And so that's why we started, you know, coming up with this, like, kind of equity model and said, okay, if you want to get in and do this, I know that a lot of these companies that I talk to, if they just do, like, two or three things, the chance of them being successful is going to, you know, increase quite a lot, right? But I, but, I, but I need them to listen to me. And so the way to do that is to basically get a stake of the company so that I'm somehow involved in the more strategic process, right? 
And I think that's kind of, that was, became like the, ah, that's, that's the way to approach that. And it's, I think, served us well um, so far. Can you share what those two or three things are that are super valuable that people come to you for? Um, yeah, I mean, I can definitely do that. Um, I would say uh, the, the two or three things that are valuable. Okay, so the first thing is um, often if you are a company and you uh, want to launch a product, one of the, the, the biggest problems that, uh, that you run into is that you spend a lot of time, you know, building your product. And then you think now that I've done my product, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready to go out there. Right. But then you haven't spent the same amount of time making sure that you communicate your product properly. Right. You haven't spent the same time actually making sure that, well, that life that it now have to lift after you spend all this time, you know, developing it, creating it, that that's actually the business. You know, building up towards that is not your business. That's just building, you know, the foundation for your business, right? Mm -hmm. And then after that, you need to go out and actually run a business. And so one of the, the biggest, you know, uh, kind of benefits if you do this right is if you start, uh, you know, looking at how you approach communication. A lot of tech founders are notoriously bad at communication. Either they are introverts um, or they just don't consider it a thing because they consider the, you know, maybe the technology behind that, some of the feature sets to be important, right? So to, first of all, you know, partner with or have someone, uh, you know, in your uh, company that actually knows how to take all this stuff and distill it into something that most people will understand. They won't understand all the, 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 the complex stuff or the technology stuff. They will understand like, a, okay, how does this benefit me? What is really the, the point about me, you know, uh, signing up with you, right? So that would be, one of the first things I think that um, that you you could do quite a lot with with very little, right? I mean, the, I, I even wrote about the other day, like just the you know the idea of going from uh, you know having proper written copy on your website uh, that actually is much more powerful than you know whatever great amazing graphics uh, you can do if you're if you're a good designer, right? If you don't have the the proper copy, then it's just hard to communicate sometimes what it is that you want to have you know implanted in people's heads. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is um, that comes back to this thing that um, this whole principle about uh, minimal viable products, right? And there's this interesting discussion about, uh, you know, how you shouldn't build too much uh, because if you do that, you know, then you, then you, you wait too long to actually figure out whether people even want your product. Right. But obviously you also have to build enough that it is a product, right? And so one of the things there is, um, you know, we can normally go in and, very quickly help uh, these companies um, figure out, you know, whether they have too much or too little when it comes to, to feature set and whether they even have something that you can call a product. This comes a little bit back to what I was doing with, with Morton Lawn earlier on, especially with these like more tech driven companies, right? It's like, okay, let's figure out what is really the essence here. What is the actual business that, that we are trying to establish here? Mm -hmm. um, and then I would say um, that the last thing uh, again, I'm looking at this from a, what can I as a product designer bring to this? Not necessarily, uh, you know, as, as a financier or something like that. And the last thing I would say is um, then once you actually launch something, um, how do you then make, how do you make sure that you can improve your product and work on finding this product market fit? And there uh, we have some, you know, very simple ways to approach that where, you know, we have some principles around, you know, starting simple and staying simple as long as possible. Okay. And one of the reasons we, 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 we do that is because uh, if, you, if you do start very simple, you can kind of measure what works, right? And if you, if you start with something more complex, it's hard to figure out what was actually working and what wasn't working. Hmm. And so really trying to kind of keep the, uh, the, uh, the company stay disciplined around just, you know, staying with as few uh, factors as possible before they know if something is working or not, before they add something new. Um, that could, that these things can do quite a lot, actually, too. If, if nothing else, give you some longer runway and, and make sure that you learn from, you know, your launches instead of just launching and then hoping that everything is going to go well. It makes sense. Yeah, and I hear, you hear that a lot from founders who are building, but they try to build and compete based on features. So they build, you know, I need, you know, this feature and this feature and this, feature, and that's the only way I'll compete with the other guys versus like, you know, you're saying, you know, stick to one thing, be really, really, really good at it. And then slowly building on top of that as like a pillar yeah. based on demand, right? And what the market says. Yeah. And it's interesting that um, like I would even say like most most companies have like some 
core protocol that the whole company is built on, right? For Twitter, the tweet is their core protocol, right? For Square, the transaction is the core protocol, or for Stripe for that matter. Like, there, there's always some core element that is your business. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that, you you know, it, it, it becomes much easier for you to think about your product more holistically and, and kind of be able to, you know, understand what you're doing right or wrong and, and look for, you know, problem areas, opportunities. Mm-hmm. If you have that, you know, almost like a philosophical um, approach to your company, right? I mean, obviously, that shouldn't go away from, from sales is still sales, uh, you know, yeah. but as a founder, often, especially with some of these companies that we often look into, they're like a funny mix of something very complex engineering wise, and then something that's, you know, might, might be consumer oriented or even a business business oriented. And that complexity, you know, you can very easily get lost in it and, and think, oh, it's only about these metrics, or it's only about content marketing, or it's only about, uh, you know, innovation, or it's only about price, right? But mm. like to be able to kind of step back, I think that's, that's what the best founders do. Jack Doris was really good at that. He, He's like probably one of the few CEOs I've ever seen that didn't just say design is important. He knew how to use design strategically. Mm. There's a lot of companies I think that are good at saying, oh, you know, design matters and design is important and we're a design founded uh, company, but they don't actually know how to translate that into something, right? So it's easy to say that you're design led and stuff like that, but it's actually much harder than you think to use it because Design is really just a way to optimize your business often. It's very rarely the foundation of the business, right? And so, um, again, you know, design is it's an interesting, um, it has an interesting role to play in all of this, I think. And that's why we, where other venture studios that you have out there might, you know, have technology as their base or the financing as their base or the operational side as their base. Our approach has been, well, to, you know, to use our, our background, which is mostly design, Mm-hmm. to basically uh, approach kind of the same uh, problem space. Does somebody have an idea or found a problem that's worth solving? And then how do you actually take that or distill it into something built, you know, at, at, at a minimum, a prototype that that's working. Mm-hmm. And then so you can start actually testing with what matters, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the the essence of what, what a creative venture studio is doing. You know, it's coming very fast to a realization of what this idea is and Distilling it into something tangible, basically, makes sense. And then from the uh, the corporation level, so the, you know these corporate big industries, they're slow to move, but they have these pain points. Um, and then you're going to the, you know, how, how do you go about validating those ideas as an entrepreneur? Do you specifically go to these corporations and say, hey, like, what problems are you facing right now? Um, you know, if we go out and build this for you, you know, do we get some kind of commitment? Whether they're going to pay for it, do you get some kind of LOI, or how do you kind of uh, start that yeah. bridge and communication with them to actually go out and build the product? for a problem they, they actually want to pay for. Yeah, so that's, I mean, um, it, it's different uh, each time, right? But I would say it, there's generally two things that happen. Either, um, either you know, they have some internal issue or vision that they need to, you know, get distilled into a, a product, whether it's a product vision or whether it's a prototype or a first version of something. Uh, or, you know, we might have uh, discussions with somebody uh, that, there's a high level about their, their business and and trying to help them think about you know opportunities uh, inside of the industry that they haven't seen or new things that you know that they might have to uh, look out for that could be potential uh, I hate to use that word but disruptors of you know of their industries right so I think it's 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 a combination of sometimes conversations we're having uh, or meetings we're having with people or sometimes do these workshops where we go through this stuff um, or um, yeah, or they they themselves know you know they have a problem or they have a, an opportunity that they that they recognize that they need somebody to help them build who's not on the inside you know because uh, that's where some of the problems often start so somebody who can approach it from a clean slate um, and not be you know bothered by you know who, who don't like who and you know what is the power structure and you know who gets to have approval from who and stuff like that right that's where it often, uh, you know, kind of falls apart at the end of the day with these larger companies trying to build stuff. Makes sense. And if you're an entrepreneur, say you're just starting out or maybe you're just very early on in, in your, your startup phase, you know, why should an entrepreneur consider that approach to building out their model and, you know, uh, validating their idea? And what are some steps they can take to, to move forward on their hypothesis to, be, you know, building that relationship and finding that right person and say, look, we're going to build a, our product around you guys. 
you know, yeah, it's, it's one of these things that, um, you know, it's obviously going to be different depending on, uh, you know, what kind of entrepreneur you are, how strong your product vision is and how strong your ideas are, right? I would say that the, the, the situations where something like a venture studio in general, whether creative or tech-based, whatever, uh, makes sense is that you have somebody who uh, who have a fairly strong idea about what it is that they want to build. Uh, they have a good idea about um, how to solve it, you know, to a certain extent. I.e., they're not they're not necessarily looking for somebody to you know solve some fundamental problem, right? That that is like on like how do we solve this? We don't know. Uh, and so then you wouldn't probably go to some uh, to a venture studio, but somebody who kind of know what they're trying to build, but also want to you know get it done fairly early, and they want to do it on their own terms, right? And so that I think uh, you would work with somebody like us because the way that we engage with them is we we don't we, we don't have the VCs approach where you you invest in a company and then you know you you push them to grow the company because that's that's not the point of a venture studio. The venture, point of a venture studio. From our perspective is to build a solid sustainable business you know that has you know a call that that you can you, you can build up on which means that when they come to us we very quickly figure out what needs to be done and what needs to be involved in this and then it really comes down to you know building something that is we, we like to say that we like to we, we, we try to design things that don't we don't design ourselves into a corner which means that you know whatever we launch first to the market is always a hypothesis, right? And it might be right and it might be wrong. And we everybody accepts that, right? We, we know it's a set of assumptions. And then we might the way we approach it is that if we turn out to be wrong, which you know, you know, almost always do, then um, uh, you know, it's it's not like start from scratch again. Like we still that that whatever we build is generic enough that we can kind of reconfigure it and try some other directions without having to do a complete remake of anything. So I think like it it, it really comes down to we, we, you know, we help people come to a, an, an assumption that can be tested and be changed if needed, right? That's kind of the, 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 the essence mm-hmm. of it, because again, the, you know, you can have, you can have a great idea, but that's, that's not really what's gonna, uh, that you don't know if it's a great idea until it's an amazing business, right? You know, most amazing ideas, they sound, you know, stupid to begin with. They sound like toys sometimes, right? It, it, it's not really easy to just to figure out what's a great idea, what's a bad idea. And it's definitely not easy to figure out, um, you know, when you have, if you have something that sounds amazing, you have a, you sound like a great concept and everybody loves it, right? That's often also almost a warning sign that, um, you know, that it's, that's probably not a good business then. It just sounds too good almost. Mm. And so I think, again, if they, you know, come to someone like us, what, what they would get is somebody who could, you know, help them basically get a product out there pretty fast. You can normally build a product in like three months, like a, a basic product everything included with development everything mm-hmm. uh, and we don't we don't waste time on like you know whiteboard uh, exercise and there's like a lot of things that you would normally do in an agency world we, we think about it more like a startup we like to have strong uh, you know strong honest conversations to begin with and kind of come to a common understanding and then we will basically move from there pretty fast uh, try to get as real as possible as fast as possible everybody have their own ideas about what something is as long as you talk about it right but the second you get it into like a wireframe or some design or, or a prototype, then you now we have, everybody have to discuss the same thing. Right. Whereas, you know, you can spend a lot of time talking about something where you actually have each your idea about what it is, right? That's, and then when you're actually building it, like, wait a minute, I thought we were doing this. And, you know, so that's kind of how we try to approach it. We are kind of no nonsense. Mm. We don't try to make, you know, elaborate processes and like that. We have just, you know, some principles that we apply depending on the situation. And then, uh, yes. Yeah. So I said, if you are if you are early, you know, early early founder, or um, or have a clear idea what you want, you know, that definitely we, we would be a great match for that. Uh, so just to to add to that part, so I know, um, yeah, I think the big value of also kind of working with somebody who's like it's not just finding what you know is working, what's the right idea, but it's also being able to kind of kill the idea and say, look, it's not working. I think that's the real value as well, right? Because you can oh. go pretty far, like six months, 12 months in when actually we should have stopped this three months ago. So when, you know, somebody who has some experience and 
background like yourself who can say, no, look, look, this is the this is the real feedback we're getting. This is the real numbers we should be paying attention to. And look, this is not a good idea or we need to make changes now versus waiting a year down the line, which we already wasted, where we could have made those changes a lot earlier. Right. Would you, would you agree? Oh, with that? Uh, definitely. And and we actually that the, 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 you know, that comes back to this um, um, thing about, you know, how how good does your idea need to be? Right. I, I normally like to say that if if execution is all that matters, then your idea isn't good enough. Right. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's kind of tongue in cheek, obviously, but but the point is that, uh, you know, great ideas, you know, you don't know if it's a great idea, but if it turns out to be a great idea, it also will be very easy for you often to execute it, not necessarily to be successful with it, but to execute it because it it it, it brings, it's, it speaks truth somehow to whatever it is that you're, you're that you're trying to do, right? And so, uh, so we are very, um, you know, we, we are, we are very, very critical, but we have a rule normally about that there's only one uh, devil's advocate allowed in the room, uh, and then the rest kind of have to fight for the idea, right? But because it's very easy to take it down, but it's much harder to to defend an idea. And so when we work with these ideas, uh, we actually often, you know, try to have one person delegated to kind of try to just take it down, figure out every little mistake they can find, and then it's up to everyone else to kind of see if we can find ways to protect the idea. And when it comes back to like how we look at ideas, is we think about them as they're almost like little babies. They're very fragile in the beginning and they need nurturing and protection, right? Because, you know, again, there will be a lot of people and a lot of ideas that just won't sound that interesting or, 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 or potential in the beginning. And so you need to kind of be aware that, you know, that there is both a positive and a negative side and kind of put that into a system. And once you do that, you, you, you know, it's much easier to kind of, uh, you know, have conversations because, then you don't you don't get up with these social dynamics where some is someone is always the negative person right, right. and then that becomes almost like a problem in itself that you have this person who kind of annoys you know, all the time but if you turn it into you know a person's job to be the negative person and then the rest to be uh, positive and try to protect the idea then that actually we found like it really really helps you know moving moving along quite quickly and it also allows you know especially founders who might be very attached to an idea to you know to see wait a minute you know uh, I, I i thought the same thing you know but actually they're, they're pointing to a lot of holes and these guys are trying to protect it with me but we just can't right so um yeah that's a, that's one of the little kind of things that that we learned over the years to to do to be able to kind of move forward otherwise you can very quickly end up in in in, in a situation where you where you don't you don't really know when you made the right decision so you, you don't really know why you why you're doing this company off because the, the, the assumptions you made were just not the right ones. Yeah, I love that uh, that kind of idea of, of uh, having somebody there just as like a red team or red squad, right? Just to kind of yeah. have a double check on you. Who, who is the ideal profile of founders that you're par partnering with? Like, do you have a specific skill set or experience that you look for that, you know, you found to be working best um, and end up succeeding better than others? Um, well, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny. Like one of the, one of the biggest tells for me normally if somebody is very secretive then it's normally like uh, it's a sign that they're going to be very hard to work with because they i think that off what what off like it's one thing to come with me and say i have the cure for cancer right if you have that you know you shouldn't even talk to me just go <laughs> patent it you know and you, you'll be fine right there's some ideas that they're they have the market rate waiting for them right most other ideas that you know we, we all get they're kind of lame and then there are some of them that have you know, some, some, you know, potential to be good businesses, some to be amazing business, some to be, you know, really, really big, uh, you know, century businesses. Right. But one thing that, um, I always found, uh, uh, you know, as an early warning sign, but who I don't want to work with at least is somebody who thinks that, you know, they come with their power, you know, the encrypted PowerPoint file, right. Where, uh, you know, it's very hard to even get it and you have to the NDAs that they're really, really, really secretive because that also means that, you know, Whatever they, whatever they've tied the whole thing up against, and the success of something, it's very fragile, because the idea well, it's never going to be the, the thing that's going to make it successful. It's always going to be how it gets treated and how it gets nurtured, as I said, right. And so that needs to be open and free, and people need to have access to that, right. Otherwise, you know, you can't actually uh, do much. But then you, idea is so amazing that it's going to go go up. Uh, to the sky. So that's definitely somebody I'm, I'm trying to avoid. Um, another one that I'm, I'm, I'm generally um, kind of uh, that, that 
we're kind of trying to avoid are, are people who are um how can, I, how can I put this in a in a nice way? Uh, people who um, who come with a preconceived notion exactly about what it is that needs to be built and just think that we're an agency, right? That's the, the other uh, the other kind of uh, people that we don't work with uh, because they basically it become a problem uh, for for a lot of different reasons. But one of them is that you know it, that our kind of you know, the reason why somebody should partner with us is our ability to, to look at your idea and look at what works and what doesn't work and kind of help you massage that into something that is then useful. Right? Makes sense. The best people we work with is um, there's two types of people that I really love working with. Uh, one is the uh, completely like I've never done this before, but I have I have a great insight or I have this you know idea that I want to do. I'm not exactly sure how to do that. Like that's a that's a perfect example of something that's really good to work with because there a lot of our experience can really help them very quickly you know take this you know insight or idea or or uh, um, or uh, or kind of business uh, um, market they want to attack and re really quickly uh, you know establish something and get get it out there and then the other one is the um, the the very numbers driven uh, you know. Analytical numbers yeah. driven sales guy, right? It just yeah. looks at the numbers and it's kind of doesn't really care about, you know, being secretive and all these other things, but just like look at metrics and it's really good at measuring. It has a, has a good, um, uh, has a very good intuition around how to, how to approach this, right? Like they can look at something, they know what to derive out of that. They're, they're almost, I think that they're probably my, my favorite to work with because they're, they're very opposite in many ways of the kind of person that I am. Uh, and so like that complements each other really well because I could then take some of the more fuzzy parts, right? And, 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 and add to whatever they, they comment. So they provide the insights and the analysis of the data and then I can kind of help them or we can help them basically, you know, approach that, right? Yeah, so don't be uh, don't be close minded, folks. Don't be secretive. Come in there with an open mind, and uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I have that same problem. I'm a, I'm very analytical, so I look at you know numbers, data driven decisions. That's a lot of my thing. So I like to partner myself and be around with other you know uh, I say creative folks, such as you know Alejandra, our producer, to help kind of balance that out. And I find that helps a lot. Um, do, do these do these founders are they coming to you with the idea and say hey let's do this? Or are you also going to, you know, validating the idea with the corporations? You talk to Skype and say, hey, uh, Skype says we have this problem. And then you go out and find a, the right entrepreneur to say, hey, can you execute on this with some cash? Here's some equity and, and a team around you to go and execute. Or is it, uh, yeah, which one is it? Or do you, is it yeah. both? It's actually, I mean, to be quite honest, like obviously one of the, the first things that you need to do, whether you build a, a you know, a VC or a, a venture studio or uh, especially venture studio or, or VC, or if you want to be an angel investor, is that you need to be to build to make sure that you have the right people come by you and introduce to a lot of ideas. So the first thing you know that we've been trying to do, obviously, is to make sure that we that if people have these ideas, that they know where to go, and that could be one one place could be to go to us, obviously. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the first thing, and then obviously. Um, after that, it becomes a question of who you they have, a, as I said, like an, an insight from an industry it might be, they might be, uh, you know, in recruitment or something like that. They might have an insight there. So they'll come to us. They have an initial idea. We help them look at that and say, okay, you know, is, is this the right way to approach this? Is, is there another way we could be doing that? Uh, other times, um, you know, they, as I said, they have, might have a market they want to attack and they understand the market really well and they know what is required to build something in that market. Um, also there, I would say that uh, our primary uh, function with them there would be to basically help them build uh, stuff uh, that uh, can be, um, how do you call that? To basically help them build stuff that could be done uh, in a way that uh, very few other people can do because they don't have this kind of background that we uh, that we do to to approach these kind of uh, products mm, makes sense and then uh, kind of just on adding to that last point of uh, where we we're talking about you know some underrated growth strategies that maybe people don't think to apply to their startup and they come to you because you have those two three skills you know keep it simple um, really good uh, copywriting uh, you know with a nice design is there anything else that people can uh, look at when they're first starting off that could make the, the big difference 
to be quite like especially so like if you want to start a marketplace for instance, just as an example one of the things you know we normally suggest is start a mailing list right there's like some really similar ways where you can very quickly get up and validate whether you even have a business and i think that's one of the first things actually that that you know a lot more people should be thinking about you know you don't necessarily need an app to begin with you might just need an or a website for that matter right or you might be able to, to do your whole service just doing text right so there's there's, to begin with, it's like what really matters is you're trying to figure out whether there is a business here or not. Whether there's some people who's willing to either spend time or spend money uh, to, you know, participate in whatever it is that you're trying to build, right? And so if you can, uh, you know, if you can validate that very quickly, you know, then you can figure out whether it's even worth, you know, going to the next step. So I would say that's one of the, uh, the, the primary pieces of advice I would always give is, don't don't just assume you need an app or a website or something like that. Figure out what it's really what you're really trying to to solve here or optimize or figure out, and then find the fastest way you can do that without even having to, you know, to come to someone like us. You know, you don't ha even have to do that to be quite honest. Mm. Often, uh, if you approach this weekend hacker, which is this um, kind of place for uh, people to exchange um, skills. You know, I, I'm a designer. I have design skills, but I need some uh, development skills. I was started, you know, literally by I posted something on on Hacker News, right? And then I had a mailing list set up, and before I knew it, I had like eight thousand people on the mailing list, right? And then mm -hmm. that, after that, we turned that into a website, and and we probably even did that too early, to be quite honest, right? But but there's there's many things you can do because a lot of at the end of the day, you you know, especially if you're building marketplaces or social networks stuff like that, it's really about you know putting people together, giving mm -hmm. them a forum to basically uh, be in. Uh, when it comes to um, you know other types of businesses, tech business stuff like that, again, it, it really comes down to, uh, as I said, like clear communication, to be quite honest, um, and uh, that could be done uh, many different ways. Obviously, one of them is uh, is design. Another one is you know make something extremely easy to use. Avoid uh, what we call empty dance floor. You know, which is basically that when you log on to a service of some sort, you know that you don't feel that there's nobody there at all, right? But there, there's some something to get you started or something that keeps you engaged. Mm. Um, there's a bunch of things you can do there, like when it comes to onboarding, where uh, I would say that that could, that could help you tremendously, um, you know, experiencing growth at least. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, build a company that uh, where, you, where you understand why you, you build it, right? Where you can kind of, you have, your intuition works for you that you can make right decisions. Which I think is often underappreciated because it's always about you know finding that market opportunity you're looking for for a specific market. But you know some people we work with, some companies they came to us with one idea about wanting to do um, you know a a mark, uh, advertising engine for uh, for uh, for the real estate uh, world, right? And it was like an architect company, and then we started talking to them like, well, what's your background? Like, do you have any? technology background that allows you to build like this ad tech thing you want to do and no they didn't right and so we ended up you know saying well what 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 can you guys do right what do you actually have what is what are your superpowers that you know nobody else have mm -hmm. and then we basically work with them towards something completely different right which is like uh you know they, they had a lot of connections to a lot of different types of experts and that actually allowed them to kind of build a a referral network for uh, for you know these types of people in the in the real estate world right so Again, there's there's always these simple things that works really well, and then there is some cl clever things, the growth hacks that we all know about that Airbnb did or Reddit and stuff like that, obviously. But I think often it's like keep it extremely simple and figure out if there's even a signal, if there's even somebody who wants your stuff, mm. and then you know if, if you find that, which is one person, then find two people, and then find four people, and then find eight, you know. And so that's I think would be my 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 basic advice there. So uh, final question from my side, and I think it uh, goes back to those early days of being an entrepreneur through hustle and trying to figure it yeah. out with very limited constraints. So I think constraints are super important and it helps you kind of, you know, forces you to make decisions a lot clearer and faster. So two things, you have a, a financial constraint and a time constraint. It's just hypothetical. Let's say you have, a, you know, $1,000 and you don't have your existing network of these, these corporations you can speak with and validate your idea. You need to build an MVP of your product. It'd be very, very simple. But you have two weeks to go out there uh, and get your first customer. Just one customer, you said, right? One, then you get two, then three. Just number one. Where do you allocate that that thousand dollars and time? Where are you focusing your time and money to make that happen? Oh, so uh, well, time-wise, 
Well, again, obviously it depends on what kind of business, right? But so sure. I would actually come back to my initial uh, like weekend hacker example, right? Like uh, that was as uh, you know basically setting up a mailing list, uh, and then I never went out and even I didn't spend a dollar on that until I had to you know basically pay start paying uh, Mailchimp for having too many people in my mailing list, right? So yeah. I would probably start with something like that. To be quite honest, um, if I only had a thousand, I, I would find the the cheapest way to establish. Uh, uh, you know, a, a user base. That would probably be something like a mailing list, right? And then I would try to figure out what could I connect people around. Um, so, and then, you know, spend a little bit of time setting up a website. But you, even that kind of stuff today, you know, again, design, there's, most design is solved, right? It's, it's not like that there's like some unique, you know, uh, way to uh, have people uh, be onboarded to your website. A lot of these design patterns are already established. So I probably would even be so lazy as I would go out and find an existing template to be quite honest of something. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. change, you know, a little bit, have a logo, maybe change some colors, obviously do some work with the with the, um, with the the text. And then, um, yeah, I would, I would like figure out whether I could convince people. Maybe I have $500 left. I would spend them on Facebook ads and Google uh, Google ads and see, you know, if there's any uh, givers and takers there, I think that's the way I would probably approach that. Nice. So build a simple page, you know, get some email lists going on and then find a way to drive traffic, you know, paid 500 bucks through Google or ads and see if people are subscribing and gauging yeah, interest. I mean, something like that. That, that, would yeah. be the, that. that would be the right way, I think, to approach that. And that could, because you could pivot a thousand times with this, right? Exactly. Interesting. Awesome. Well, uh, uh, where can our audience get in touch with you, learn more about your venture studio or consider if they want to be part of your, your program? Uh, well, so if, if they can go to uh, one place they can go is obviously our website, firstprinciple.co. Still trying to get the .com, but they, they don't want to answer us. So we don't know why. Uh, or they can uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, hello underscore world is my Twitter handle. Um, so I'll say those are the two places they can get in contact with us. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Thomas. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you all for listening in to today's episode. Don't forget to join us for another episode where we interview top leaders and experts in the business and SaaS industry. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you please give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be really, really appreciated. Otherwise, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or improvements for this podcast, please feel free to send it directly to me on our website at horizoncapital.com. Or you can just tweet me at Akil Jabbar. Thanks again and hope to see you guys on the next episode.